Welcome to the Run Culture Podcast. My name is Dane Verway. I'm an experienced runner and running physiotherapist. I created this podcast not only so I had an excuse to talk running each and every week, something that I love to do, but more importantly, this podcast gives me the opportunity to interview fellow runners, friends and health professionals in a relaxed and easygoing format. This podcast is designed for the everyday runner, so we can all live, learn, grow and enjoy everything there is to running together. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to episode 50 of the Run Culture Podcast. Yes, that's right, episode 50. One of the most informative yet for any keen runner trying to master the balance between optimal running performance and minimising the risk of injury, this is another must-listen. Last week, I had a great yarn with good friend Kevin Craigie, an APA-titled sports physiotherapist. Kevin has been part of the physiotherapy team for Athletics Australia since 2011 and is the current lead physiotherapist with the Pathways program, physiotherapist for the Victorian Institute of Sport Athletics program and a touring physio for Athletics Australia. Kevin has worked alongside some of the country's best runners, coaches, clinicians to develop strategies for injury prevention, training, recovery and rehab. He's also worked alongside St Kilda Football Club on their running mechanics. Kevin was also a very distinguished runner himself over the past 20 years and has some very handy track 1,500, 5,000 metre time to boot. His ongoing battles with a likely genetic predisposition for navicular bone stress injuries makes his running achievements all the more admirable and certainly has assisted his development into a well-experienced and educated running physio. All right, I urge everyone to have a listen. This one's perfect for long runs or a car trip. Lots of takeaways from this one. I almost split it into two episodes. Many thanks to Kevin Craigie. Here he is. We can't prevent injuries, can we? Like, in- injuries are going yep. to occur. I, I, we just have to accept it. If you were to, yep. if you were to try and perform... So if you're trying to get the best out of yourself, there's a greater chance that you're going to get injured, and, and that's just fact. So I think, um, yep. yeah, uh, if, if, we, if we talk about it more in depth, I think the way we've got to think about it yep. is um, risk minimization or risk management. So we, we uh-huh. accept that um, in sport it's about performance. You know, that's what we're aiming for. We're aiming for performance an end result and to achieve that we have to push our bodies you know to its to its limits um and when we're doing that there's there's that risk and reward and we're, and we're balancing that all out all the time and it's probably making just the right decisions and good decisions to make sure that you get the reward um at the end of the day but to be honest yep. if we wanted to prevent injuries look we can all prevent injuries it's it, it can happen and, and how we do that is we don't load you know we sit on the couch we, yeah. we we go for a walk and and we can cut down all stress fractures instantly but we don't have performance and and, and no one wants to aim for that so um yeah i think we've all got to probably just become better at probably now this shifting our terminology to, to more risk management um or you know risk yep. minimization and i'm i'm personally i'm also having to do that you know get my um terminology better at that 
because that's that's what it is. It's, yep. it, and, and it's a performance sport, um, and, and that relates to everyone, even in the community. Anyway, everyone just wants to perform. Um, they they come to you because they want to get better at doing something or be able to do something. So it's all performance related. So, um, yep, yeah, yeah. That's it's really cool because like when you're trying to get better, I suppose you're treading that fine line of like trying to push yourself. Um, and it's such a fine line. Like it's such a um, easy, easy line to overstep yeah. um, and overdo it. And then um, like it, if you're not training hard enough, um, then you're not going to get better. So you're not actually, you know, going above that minimal dosage to stress your systems to change. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's like hitting that, that sweet spot, but it's so hard to, hard to work and it's almost like you've uh, learned because everyone's so different and there's so many um, areas that you're loading your your system um, uh, all, all sort of acting at the same time and it's always changing so, so, so it's very easy to overshoot it and then and then you know get too tight or get sore um, uh, yeah so it's it's, it's 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 such a tricky so tricky situation so it's, it's that's really cool um, in terms of what you're saying about you know, I think we sometimes have to overshoot and get injured to work out where our where our, our tolerance is, and then um, and then over time, if you sort of slowly strengthen over time, like maybe that tolerance improves. Um, but yeah, it's ever changing. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're spot on with those points. Um, that yeah, yeah, yeah. Firstly, that that the way I always like to think about the human body is is it is a living tissue. So. Because it's a, a living yep. tissue, it responds to everything you do. So you, you put in some load to it, it gets stronger. You know, you see that when you go to the gym, you do some weights, you get you get bigger muscles. Um, you, you jump up and down, your bone gets gets uh, thicker. You look at those old studies of um, those tennis players, you know, the ones that loaded from them when they were eight years old and then the ones that loaded when they were 20 years old and they've got the, the, the kids that have played more tennis from a younger age have got thicker bones, but... Um, the same thing is, you know, those bed rest studies. So we can do the opposite. We can say, well, what happens if you do less? Um, and say there's, there's bed rest studies where they get people to lay in bed for, you know, four or five months. Um, and while they're doing that, the bones in their head get thicker. They develop more bone there, but they lose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but they lose bone in their lower legs. So any of the, so the head's normally, it doesn't take load, so it's not going to be a, a really thick piece of bone and, and hard bone, but you start to lay in bed for five months yep. and you'll actually develop a thicker yeah. skull. But as, <laughs> as uh, most people would say, you've got a thick skull, hey, don't I? Uh, but uh, uh, what happens on the other side, though, is that your legs actually lose um, some bone density. So um, yep. they can't tolerate it. So... It, it always adapts to its environment. Um, so the, the key thing is, as you said, you, you have to stress the body to actually get it stronger, to get it fitter. If, if we don't stress it, you're not going to get that benefit. But it's yep. then just doing it slow enough to allow those changes to take place because it's not like you, you, you run once and then the next day you've got strong bones or you've got strong muscles. Those yep. Changes and processes take weeks to months to years. Like it, it's just not a quick pro, um, process. So because of that, we just have to progress really, 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 really slowly. And ahead of us is a threshold line and, you know, a threshold like a breaking point line. And no, we have no bloody idea where that line is. 
But if we yeah. step over it by a really long way and get sore or injured, then that means that we're probably going to have to take a really, really long time off because we're going to have really done a bit of hurt damage or whatever you want to call it. But if we just tiptoe over yeah. it and you might get an early warning sign yeah. of, of, of uh, a bit of a niggle or, or, or a, a bit of a light sickness or whatever it might be and we've got an early warning sign, well, then we can go, okay, let's just back down a little bit we know that's our level. Let's mm-hmm. sit here just below that threshold for a bit, get a little bit more robust, and then we can start pushing ahead. Yep. And, and, and that's the whole idea of, I suppose, just you know, building up slowly and then also applying periods of recovery between your load stimulus because w- without recovery, you can't actually get um, stronger at the same time. Like it's that recovery period of, of when you then develop that, that strengthening process. So, you can't have load without yep. recovery and, and expect to get stronger. So you've got to have that load and then recover, and you, and you might then just stick below that threshold and or tiptoe to it and then back down to it um, underneath it rather than take a big step over it into the darkness and the unknown and you might get lucky and not be on that threshold or you might be fine. And the, and the other thing actually I'll say in this, yeah, which is will confuse matters even yep. further, makes it even more difficult, is that it's, it's, it's not an instant um, relationship of, do something, feel soreness. It's it, in terms of bone stress and uh, tendon injuries. You know they talk about a lag time, and, and that lag time could be four weeks plus. In terms of you might suddenly increase your volume and go, "Hey, things are great. I'm not sore," but yeah. it, the yep. stimulus might be then, but it might not be to another four or five weeks later that you actually get the injury. So the annoying thing is people often do, you know, pull up and they go sore and they go, geez, I haven't done anything. Like I've been running consistent volume for the last four or five weeks. It's just been the same. But it was that big raise before yes. that that sort of then triggered that um, event and then they're running on, you know, lost, lost time basically. Like they, they've already overloaded yep. the system and then they're not putting in the recovery period to then get through that and they just stick at that level, keep it overload, 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 overload. And then after four or five weeks, the body's gone, bang, it's broken. But the actual insult happened four or five weeks beforehand. So, yeah, you can't always just take it as, oh, yeah, awesome. That worked out all right. I'm fine. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Oh, that's such a good point. Like just like with tendons and bone, like how, um, yeah, it's often – sort of the change in training, um, not just the day before or the, or the week before, but yeah, um, you, you know, four, six weeks, um, yeah, eight weeks bef- before it. Um, and yeah, I think that's really important for people to know. And, and that's what does make it confusing, I suppose, is because sometimes you can um, yeah, feel like you're coping um, uh, and feel like your, your body's managing yeah. it. Um, uh, like I, I was watching, um, yeah, one of your uh, target talent talks because it was on YouTube that you did about mm. three years ago uh, with mm. Athletics Victoria, and you, like you, you raised like um, really good example, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, astronauts, yeah. Um, yeah, spot on. Go yeah. up to space, and uh, yeah, do you mind just um, yeah just going through that again? And then there was also um, if you can remember this, um, yeah. this Ben yeah, Ray yeah. Smith um, study, yeah, 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 um, about. Yeah. Um, yeah, 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 I can go through all that. Um, so firstly, well, the astronaut yeah. analogy is that uh, it's, it's the same sort of thing as the um, bed rest study and, and such. Astronauts on a study, it's, we, we just know what happens. So when you go up to space, 
Well, we're taking away gravitational load. So there's, there's a reduction in load. So the net outcome of that, when, when the astronauts come back down onto Earth, you always see them, like they always have to like pick them up out of the spacecraft, chuck them in wheelchairs, wheel them along. These guys have lost a significant proportion of muscle mass, a significant proportion of bone density. So just by taking away load, there is a clear example that we, we can lose muscle and, and bone. And, and so you've got to appreciate that when you're, when you're injured, when you take a break, et cetera, that yep. there is going to be a reduction in, in muscle strength, in bone strength, in your, in your neuromuscular coordination, so your skill, your, your, your tendon stiffness. So, and that all comes back to us just being living tissue. You know, we are a living tissue. It responds to our environment. And that's, the, that's, to be honest, the most fantastic thing about our human body is that it will adapt and respond to the environment it's placed in. But the caveat on that is if you give it enough time. So without time and, and, and a prolonged period of time, those changes can't occur. Um, the Ben Raysmith stuff. So Ben Raysmith um, is a physio up at ACT, um, worked in the uh, yep. athletics department. Um, sorry if you can hear my son. He's wanting to say hello. Um, so he's a physio up at ACT. He's worked with athletics for many, many, many years. Um, yeah, great physio up there. And he's um, yep. did a study where, or over a prolonged period of time, where he's looked at um, some of the athletes in the track and field program up at uh, up in Canberra. And what they've done is they've um, set down what their goal would be, their target goal would be um, at the start of the season, and then they've tracked their continuity of training. So have they been at full training? Have they been at modified training or restricted training? So modified training being that you're not completing the, the session that would normally be set for you. So if, if you were uninjured or ill, you would be, or not ill, you would be doing this normal session. But if that training is compromised through injury or illness and, and you're not able to do that session, that's modified and restricted training would be that you're not even running at all. So what they found that over yep. a six-month period, if you completed 80% of your training, so if you did 80% of the training in that six-month period, then you're seven times more likely to uh, achieve your goal, right? Seven times more likely to achieve your goal. And what that works out, you can think about it, is that if you – have to modify five weeks of your training over a six-month period before that, that goal event, you're, you know, you're far less likely to achieve your end, the goal that you would um, achieve. But I, I do also yep. have to say that um, there are plenty of athletes in the senior teams and the junior teams that have gone into events with really compromised training history over many months and we've had plenty of medalists that have come out of that cohort, plenty of medalists. So it doesn't mean that you can't yeah. achieve your goal. Um, it just means it's, it's going to be difficult. And I think the events where it's harder is running events because it's hard to get that same sort of stimulus out of cross training or weights and, and things. So especially distance running. So I think, if you miss, if you're a distance runner and missing a, a, a period of time, then it's it's harder to achieve that goal. But I think the more technical events, power um, events, 
it's still it's easier. And they're the ones that we still see our, our medalists come through, even though they've had compromised training histories in those technical events and field events, um, so to speak. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's it's fascinating that. Uh, you know, why do we care about, you know, stopping you, everyone from getting injured? You know, why do we care so much? Well, it all comes back to if we can keep you out there training consistently for as long as possible, you're more likely to achieve your goal. That's what it all comes down to. So that's performance. That's performance health is, yep. is reducing your time loss from, um, from training. Yeah, that's it's, and then you, you, you that like, that's so so cool i reckon both those examples and like with the astronaut um uh sort of analogy um what are the common times that you see with at the vis like uh, some of your track athletes that you treat what are some of the common times that you see um some of those track athletes getting? Oh, yeah injured? okay like, yeah yeah good question good year? question so yeah. the majority of um injuries occur and, and if you look at this over, over a year they often occur coming out of a break so and, and you see this in in team sports so if anyone's into afl you always hear about those injuries occurring in pre-season okay that's when the majority of those injuries will occur in pre-season so same thing for us in, in in running um and in track and field the majority of injuries occur in that build up after so you've had nationals so you've then had a break gone on holiday, whatever, and then you might start training again. So we see a lot of injuries there or say after um, you, you might have a break after cross country before you go into track. But also we see injuries occur around late Jan, early Feb, and this is worldwide. That's worldwide across all sports. Um, and that's because of Christmas and, and that happens in northern, summers, northern and southern hemispheres at the same time that we'll see that. So there's, a, there's an increase in injury um, prevalence around late Jan, early Feb. So you go, well, why is that happening? Why is that occurring after a break? You know, we should be fresh. We should be ready to go. And, and all of a sudden we get injured. And, you know, as, as we allude to, it's, it's all about that deconditioning effect. You, you have that break and then we get that weakness in our, you know, muscles and our bones, our tendons, our, our, our skill level, you know, isn't as good. Our ability to adapt isn't as good. So, Therefore, um, we're more vulnerable to injury. And what we often do is, you know, we feel fresh. We feel great. We're ready to go. You know, we might have put on a few kilos. We want to lose that weight. So we, we hit the ground running hard and we just go, let's just start pumping it. And we feel good for maybe a week or two because we're fresh and we, you know, can knock it out. But we're running on borrowed time. You know, our, our bodies are, are vulnerable and, and yep. they can break. So the right way to do it, is just to then, if you if you are to have a break, well, you've got two options. One is if you have a break, you maintain some level of training through that break. So you might term it more as a mental break, but you maintain, yep. you, you might drop your volume maybe by 50 or 50% or, or less or, or more, but, um, and you might, you know, have that for a couple of weeks and then you might build up to 70% of your volume and then 80 and 90 and sort of build up slowly like that. Or you just go, no, I still want to do completely nothing. So then if you, if you do nothing, then you just have to accept that, that you have to take longer to build up. So what I, you know, coming into um, world uh, under 20s when we, when we prepare for that, the, the common talk I'll give after nationals to the coaches is this, is that nationals is in April and mm -hmm. our comps always in um, July. So there's often only about three months 
to prepare for that. So kids and coaches, they want a break. And I've got no issue with them having a break. But all we say is plan your break. That, that's all I want you to do is, is go back, see how much time you have to have a break. Because remember that the, the longer you have a break and the less you do in that break, the longer it takes you to build up. And then is that going to compromise your time further down the track? Yep. So if all you have to do is go back, work out how many weeks you got, work out how much break you want, how long it would take to build up, and, and but really how long it would, uh, at full training that do you need uh, with good quality training to achieve your, your best at that event um, rather than take two weeks off and then we're back into full training, which would be, uh, you know, people get away with it. Majority of the time people get away with it, but uh, sometimes people don't and they get injured. Um, so um, that's, yeah, that's what you need to know in that space. Yeah. Yeah, and that's really good. Um, yeah, because in that same talk, um, the talk was sort of yeah. stretching and massage. Um, and then, like, you, you opened the talk with um, uh, more sort of you talked about um, the key concepts that you you um, really thought that athletes and coaches should focus on um, in terms of injury prevention or yeah. management yeah. Um, and maintenance. Um, and you sort of, you know, went on and firstly yeah. listed communication, um, and load load management sort of principles, um, and then um, yeah, talked about uh, strength training, and then sort of recovery sort of aspects like sleep, nutrition, and relaxation. And it was so interesting that they're the key points that you sort of listed first, and then you sort of went into um, I yeah, suppose, yeah, uh, yeah, stretching after. So that. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll elaborate on yeah. on a lot of that. So um, yep, you know the the, the message to anyone is that if we're trying to manage injuries, um, there's very little evidence behind stretching, almost none. And, and, and if anything, it can do more harm than good in, in you know, if we're doing prolonged stretching, you know, it, it can actually stunt your, for, you know, your, your power output um, immediately following, um, you know, there's plenty of um, yep. tendon insertional injuries that occur from prolonged stretching. Um, and, you know, and we can get lots of length just through movement and, and, and through weights, um, so the, the, there's that and, and also in running there's you don't want to always be too flexible you want that inherent stiffness there um, to get that elastic recoil through the, the fascia and the tendon so you know it, it can actually be a performance detriment yep. through overstretching and it's one of those old wives tales that gets handed down and with, with zero evidence behind it and, and we just we grow up accepting it it's fact we, yeah. you know we, we go through our, our days playing footy or you know, going a little lazy and we all do our stretching and things and no one ever questions it and they assume it's right. And, you know, my, my twin brother, he um, was working with a PT at, at a gym and they did this sort of like, I don't know, samurai test, I don't know, like just to show that you're really awesome. Um, so he, he passed every single one of the tests <laughs> they did, you know, your chins, your push-ups, your, your, your running, your jumps, everything, passed everything. But he was miserable at the flexibility and he couldn't pass it. And because of that, he didn't get this, Samurai award, or you know, or whatever the hell it's called. So I was just like, "What, what are you talking about? Like, yep. they're not giving you this award just because you can't touch your toes." And he's like, "Yeah." I said, "Well, if if he can come to me and, and show me the, the benefit of being able to do that for for your injury prevention, or just you know being able to do a certain skill, go for it." And I just flicked him all these different articles. Um, to pass on to the PT about, you know, where, you know, just showing that there's zero evidence behind stretching yep. at all. Anyway, so 
But it's it's a common question that yep. that that people go is 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 what do I do to what stretches should I do you know what self massage should I do um, and um, at the end of the day and, and that's what you know was came to me from um, the people telling me to do the talk they said can you do a talk on stretching and self massage and I said um, no <laughs> I, I I could if you want me to. But I'll, I'll start yeah. off, but I'm going to just change it straight away and, and talk about something else um, yeah. because it's it's the least important part yeah. of it. And, and if we're focusing on the on the self massage and the yeah. stretching, we're missing the big, big, big key points of of risk management. So, um, yeah. what they did at the AIS is they've studied a whole lot of sports and over many, many thousands of hours of of sport and and, and looked at. Um, I suppose, injuries and what are those factors that are involved in those injuries um, coming about. And, you know, you've got um, intrinsic risk factors and you've got extrinsic risk factors. So your extrinsic risk factors would be things like your, your loads, your, your mental health, your, your, your training surface, um, your energy availability. Your intrinsic would be more like how, how strong you are, um, your bone density, your, your your biomechanics, you know, genetics, and whether you've had a past injury, your, your sex, your age, all those things are intrinsic. But they found that 80, well, approximately 80% yep. of the cause for illness and injury is due to those extrinsic risk factors. So predominantly more so, you know, your training loads. So what are your training loads been and your, your training history been um, up to that point, so your recent training history? What is your energy availability? What is your recovery status? Like how well are you recovered and what's your mental health? They're the big things that matter. And so when at the VIS, when we're managing athletes, that's what we think about, you know, and it's not rocket science. Nothing we do but there is anything that uh, special or that someone wouldn't do anywhere else. Like it's, we just focus on the simple things. You get those simple things right. And then hopefully through that, we can uh, minimize uh, injuries and time loss from training and therefore through that there's a performance benefit and uh, so that's that's all we're trying to do so that's where a lot of our education comes around um, and and we spend our time trying to educate coaches and, and athletes um, to plan well and plan better um, in terms of their loading so what we encourage is that athletes um, develop um moderate to high chronic load. So a chronic load would be your average of your training over your past four weeks to maybe eight weeks, okay, something like that. So it's, a, it's an yeah. idea or, of what your fitness is, and that's the easiest way to view it is how fit am I? Your, your fitness comes about through long-term training. So we might say your average of four to eight weeks, but you could also look at that maybe as what your robustness is as well. You know, how robust are you? because you've done a good block of training. And the higher your chronic training load is, the less likely you are to get injured. And I'll put it in this space. If you did, if your body could handle a, a 10% change in load, okay, and we might say 10% might be your breaking point. If, if you increase 10%, you break. Well, if you're running 10Ks a week, then you'd only be able to, 10% of that is 1K. So you'd only be able to increase 1K. If you're, yep. So your, your window of, of ability to move is, is pretty small. But if you're running 100K a week, 
and you increase uh, 10%. That's 10K. So you've got a larger window of, of movement that you go between. Yep. Um, so don't take those those numbers as, oh, I must stick to 100K and only 10%. That's not what I'm saying. It's I'm just giving an example. But it just sort of illustrates, um, I suppose, if you're up to 100K. Yeah, you've yeah you're more robust. More you're stronger. You're, you're fitter. You're stronger. You can handle change better. Yeah. So that's what we encourage. We, you know, Athletes yeah. don't have to sit at a really, really low level of load to be injury-free. And, and in fact, it often is the opposite. You sit at a low level of load and you're more likely to be injured because you're, you're less resilient to, to handle yeah. change. So we try and encourage uh, coaches and athletes to plan well to develop a high chronic load. Now, obviously, everyone will probably have a, a, a physiological limit for what amount they load they can handle and the recovery they require. So, you know, you've got some marathon runners out there running 200Ks a week and, but, um, you know, without an issue and you've got other ones that, you know, runners out there might only run 60 to 80Ks a week and, and, and that's all they can handle. And, and no matter how much they try to push above it, they don't get it. So we've got some athletes that we might set some ceiling parameters saying every time you've, you've tried getting this high, even though we've done it carefully, you always break. So we might just have a ceiling going. That's, that's probably your, your, your maximal threshold, you know, level that you can get to even with good recovery strategies and good loading um, patterns. Um, now, the, the yep. trick, though, is how you get to that high chronic load. And, and as we sort of said before, you've got to build into that really, really slowly. So you've got to give that time. So that takes years and years and years and years and, and more years. So what's really important in your younger athletes um, is that you really think long-term, that you actually don't sacrifice your long-term yep. gains for your short-term goals. So, and, and it's something I always try to stress to people, like it's really easy to get a good performance in a short amount of time if we just flog ourselves and, you know, in a sh- really quickly we can flog ourselves <laughs> and we might get a really good result. But at the same time, we really highly risk getting injured um, and then if you get injured, then there's that time loss and um, we, we lose training. And at the same time, you then carry that injury forward. So as you would know, Dane, like one of the biggest predictors of, of injury or future injury is have you had an injury before? Um, so if you are injured, you're more likely to get another injury and more likely to get that same injury. So if we can stop people getting injured, um, then we're going to keep um, – them running better for forever, for longer, and, and more likely to achieve their performance goals. So it's about doing it slowly. Um, and how slowly depends on the athlete and the individual. And the, there's no number or figure. Each of us will respond very, very differently. We're all individual and we just have to accept that. So as we talked about, just you, you might increase a little bit, see your response, increase a little bit, see your response, and then it might be a bit up, bit down, bit up, bit down. And you slowly get there over time, but you you build this really good log of, of consistent loading and, and get your chronic load quite high. So that's, that's your fitness. Um, and then yep. the other and- part to, to loading is, is what people would call their acute load. So acute load is often referenced to what you have you done in the past day to even seven days. Um, and the way to think about that is what is your fatigue? So, and what people often do is, is they, you know, you, you, you compare what is my fatigue to my fitness? What is my acute load to my chronic load? Now, um, it, yeah, in simplistic terms, it's, it's fatigue over fitness. So when you're out there running, does, 
this session at the moment, am I fit enough to do this session? Am I, what's my fatigue like if, to do this session? If I'm really fatigued, am I already stressing the body too much beyond what my fitness capabilities are? Or is my fatigue really low? I haven't really done that much in the past day or week. Therefore, I, I'm well within my fitness capabilities to actually handle this. That's probably the easiest way to think about it. So that's what we just try and teach co- coaches and, and, and athletes, yep. um, you know, those, that sort of concept of um, building up a really high chronic load or monotone high chronic load and then managing your, your acute load. Now, the, with the uh, other sort of things we talked about with energy availability um, and recovery and psychological yep. stress, they, they really play a really important part in that, in that acute load. Um, and that fatigue state because, um, well, first I'll talk about energy availability. So energy availability, um, the, the, I always um, bring it back to um, talking about like a mobile phone. So we're, we're talking about how much energy do you have in your body at yep. that time? And that energy can be um, through your your fat um, storage. It can just be also through your, your glycogen um, storage that you've already just got in your body. Um so what store of energy do you have in your body? And, um, and that's your energy availability. Now, when we exercise, we burn energy. So that um, storage level goes down. Now, um, the other thing to it is this, though, that if I do study or I think or I go for a walk or whatever I do in the day, I burn energy. So the more things you do in the day, you, you, you burn energy and that fuel tank gets lower. And um, this, is, this is my analogy. The easiest analogy is this. So you've got a mobile phone. And um, with your mobile phone, every night you put it on to charge. Well, I do at least. I put my phone on to charge every night. So it charges overnight. So you can think about that having yep. like a good meal. Now, so I wake up in the morning, full charge, good, yeah. you know, phone works quite well. Now, throughout the day, even if I didn't use it, the battery would start to, to deplete. Okay, so that's our, that's our human body. Even if you lay in bed all day doing nothing, yeah. you start, you're burning energy just to stay alive. Okay, so no matter what, you have to keep refueling to keep um, energy in the body. You know, otherwise, you, you're not going to last long on, on this earth. So um, then what you do, um, you have to think about is if I start using my phone more in terms of phone calls or videos or um, whatever you might be doing, Strava, yep, Strava. Um, Strava, Strava. If you start using all of that, it burns down the battery quicker, okay? So that's us in, in life. The more exercise we do, the more we think, do whatever. If you're a kid, study, the more you're stressed, whatever. The more things you do, the quicker that energy burns out, right? So then what you note from that is that when you get down to your last 20% or whatever, a warning light comes on on your phone and says, would you like to go into battery saver mode? And that's what your human bodies do as well. You start going low on energy and it's going, well, hang on, how do I, 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 I'm running low on energy, how do I save my energy? So it starts shutting down systems and the way things function in your body. And then also your phone at that time, if if you neglect it and don't charge it, it starts running clunkier. So it starts becoming slower, things don't work as well, or at least on my phone that happens. And that's also what happens in our human body. And, And my classic example of that is how many times have, have we been, have, have you been hangry and you're just like, 
you're, you're starving, you're angry, you can't concentrate, you know, you're just, you're just irritable. So you're just not functioning as well. And that's the really obvious example. But at the same time with energy availability is, you know, it, it compromises your recovery, your ability to recover from a session. It, it, you know, the old female athlete triad um, with this in terms of the amenorrhea, so loss of um, menstruation, um, and bone stress mm-hmm. um, all linked, you know, linked together um, with low energy. Um, so that, that was your classic female athlete triad. But, um, you know, we yep. see, therefore, people who are on prolonged energy deficiency, they have a um, reduced or they're more likely to get bone stress injuries. The ability to, to recover and then build bone is compromised. Um, there, as we sort of said, concentration and, and um, mood and, and all those things are also affected. So it, it affects your whole body and your whole physiology just being on, on low energy. Um, and I also have to say that, you know, we go back to the fit female athlete triad. It was often termed, you know, in that way because it was just the assumption was made, oh, it's only females that have this. But it's, it's not a female thing. It's, um, it's a male thing as well. You know, why can't males be energy deficient? I, I can tell you plenty of times yep. in my life I've been energy deficient. I think we can get really short-term energy deficiency, like within the day, yep. whether you skip a lunch or, or whatever, you forget, or you become energy deficient. As I said, the, the hangry thing's a perfect example which most people can relate to. But you can get that long-term energy deficiency as, as, as well where we're just burning the fuel tank over and over again for day upon day upon day upon day. Um, and we're really compromising our body's ability to recover. Um, but you know, and, and as I say to people, it, it's not just, you don't have to be that, you know, really, really, really skinny athlete to be energy deficient. It, it doesn't work like that. It could be anyone. It could be a shot putter. You know, you can still get energy deficiency. Um, it, it, even in that sense, it might just be more of a short term thing, but it, it can still happen. So I, I don't think you just have to look around and go, Oh geez, it's, you know, that per- I don't have it. I I'm quite good because look at my size. I've got muscular, I've got, you know, a, a little bit of, uh, you know, you, you can't see my bones, so therefore, you know, I'm carrying a little bit, bit of fat or whatever it might be. That doesn't mean you can't be energy deficient. Um, so it's being aware to, to fuel properly. So that's uh, – this is a very long answer, sorry. So uh, – No, this is good. This is good stuff because I, I think it's um, stuff that gets undervalued. Like in terms of performance um, – so many people uh, just concentrate on the hard train or the training that they do. Yeah, yeah. And, um, okay, good. They don't talk so, about this kind of um, stuff. And, look, um, it's I, I think it's, it's, there's so much value in speaking to a sports dietitian if you are serious about your running and your training but to help you actually plan out when you should eat, how much to eat um, throughout the day. I, I think you, you'll get as much out of that as you would by increasing, by adding another run. I think you'll probably get more out of it because you actually be able to recover more and make the most out of that training. If you don't have fuel in the body, you can't make the most out of that training. So you, you, you physically have to have energy there to, to build. Um, so um, the other thing we'll touch upon is um, psychological stress and, and stuff So you, or, or your mood, you know, as we can yep. all relate to, you know, you've had a crappy day at work or you just – yeah, you just mood might be down or low for a bit, and you just don't feel like training, or you, you you're not sleeping as well, or whatever. So psychological stresses, um, you know, relationships or you know, work or whatever it might be, 
can it impact your ability to recover? And so it is actually linked with injuries, having, you know, a, a low mood state and, and becoming injured. It does happen. Um, and the other one I touch on is, is, is recovery. So, and, and the big one there is sleep, you know, sleep or even just, you know, just rest. Um, how important that is just to um, restore homeostasis in the body. So put you back onto that level ground again. It, it, it's pivotal. So, in terms of um, education to athletes and coaches, it, it always goes around managing your loads, you know, having really de- developing really good chronic load, um, making sure that your nutrition plan's appropriate for what you're doing and it's flexible, so it changes depending on what you're doing, making sure that you can um, manage your psychological stress, whether that be taking time out somewhere, speaking to someone, you know, whatever it might be. And then also recovery, just making sure that you are putting in appropriate recovery times into your training and, and, and you are sleeping, et cetera. If you're, if you're turning up to every session exhausted week in, week out, well, you're probably not recovered. It's okay to turn up here and there exhausted and tired. That's fine. That's, you know, that might be a goal of your training phase is just to run uh, with that extra fatigue stimulus. But if you're doing it day in, day out, week in, week out, well, that, then that's a really big issue. So then that goes back to our ac- acute loading with our acute to chronic load. So yep. if those things are, are causing our acute load to be higher because it's, you know, it's, it's putting more stress on the body. So as we said, we might yep. term acute our fatigue, um, then that might overburden our body's fitness. So therefore, we're more likely to get injured. Now, um, you know, the thing to term about, we, we sort of talked about it earlier with injuries, is that there's not a direct causal relationship between, yep. you know, one thing and getting injured. So um, the, the, the classic physio thing would might be you have a, a pronated foot, therefore you will get such and such injury. And yep. there is no linear relationship between any of these things and injuries all occur you know because of this complex sort of interaction between all these different factors and I I like to think about like the perfect storm so it's a perfect storm of events is when you get injured is that you know your your training loads might be a bit low you might um, have not eaten as much that night or had a bad sleep Um, you might have I don't know changed your footwear or you and you might have um not done gym or yep. I, I don't know so that all these factors and they come together and right at that yep. point of time that microsecond in time it creates the right environment to um, cause that cascade of events for, for an injury to occur so um when we talk about you know managing yep. risk and and trying to um you know I would use the word prevent injuries, but I know we shouldn't, but when we're trying to reduce the injury rate is that we have to think about managing all these little influences and it's not just doing one thing well. It's probably just holistically just managing your life and how about how you go about things a little bit better and then, you know, providing uh, and, and then putting it back into the performance world is that you're stressing the body enough to actually um, give it the stimulus and to get stronger, faster, whatever your outcome goal is, but then also giving it the recovery to make the most of that um, that load because without that recovery, you're not actually going to develop that strength anyway. So it's that's all it is. It's simple. So the message is simple. You know, 
um, you know, load yourself yeah. up, load yourself up with a really, really, really long-term viewpoint uh, and goal. Um, put in spaces of recovery, you know, uh, to actually absorb that load because unless you absorb it, you, you, you're going to break. And then manage your, your life really well, you know, in terms of your recovery and sleep and your, and your psychological stress and, you know, your food and, your, you know, when you eat and the timing of that. And you're probably 80% of the way there is what we're saying. You're 80% of the way there. Um, so, and the other 20%, as we said, might come down to things like, you know, as past injury history, which is a big thing, age is a big thing, um, uh, you know, strength, your biomechanics and, and other things might also come to play. But, you know, all too often athletes will spend all their time and energy and, and you know, Dane, we're guilty as physios as well. We're really guilty um, focusing all our time on energy and on, on managing these yep. really little things, you know. Uh, and then you get athletes at home just spending all their waking yeah. hours doing these little rehab exercises over and over again, and, and you know thinking of these little things. It's like, yep. hey, go and see a sports dietitian, or or go and just chill out. You know, is is chilling out on the on the couch and having a rest and not thinking about athletics and running that might actually be better for you than just spending time doing this rehab little exercise. You know, so it it's just thinking about it a little bit more holistically. Yeah. Um, and Look, we can't, as, as we keep saying, yeah. we, we can't predict yeah. injuries. It, it's, it's, it's so hard to do because there's so many factors involved. Um, so, yeah. And if you're looking at the, the next challenge, I suppose, on top of that is, is monitoring. You know, how do you, how do you monitor? Okay. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Like, how do you actually monitor? Um, like, do you suggest that runners should be, keeping a diary of some kind to try to, especially um, if, if, if you've been injury riddled and you're really struggling to get consistent, should a runner keep a diary and monitor things like sleep and uh, stress levels? Yeah, I think and, uh, the, the, the yeah, question comes back. out to it as what, what information do you think will be helpful for you to, to plan out um, and then how best would it be that you collect that information? Um, so whether you need to keep a diary or not, how do I go into this? So if you, um, keep a diary firstly, I, I think it's a really valuable thing and a, and a good thing to do. And you could easily um, track your, your kilometers run. Um, you could track your perceived exertion. So that's often what we do is we track our, um, intensity, um, levels. And the reason we do that is because, Running 10Ks one day might feel really easy and running that same 10Ks another day at exactly the same pace might feel really, really hard because for whatever reason, you're just fatigued or tired and just not tolerating it as well. So we use a measure of, of perceived exertion and that's people will often just say, well, rate um, how difficult or how tired you are or whatever it might be out of 10 and that's your perceived exertion and then people would times that number by how many, um, by the distance they ran. So if you ran 10Ks and your perceived exertion was 5 out of 10, that's a load of 50 and people might track. Yeah, 10 being absolutely 10, knackered. 10 being yeah, absolutely I couldn't, exhausted. Like the, the, the hardest yeah. ever race you could <laughs> ever, 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 ever do um, is 10. And, um, and it's all a subjective scale. So um, mm -hmm. don't try and follow what anyone else does. It's, it's your own scale. It's, 
it's particular to yourself. So, um, you know, you're your own judge and, and, and that's good enough for me. So you could, you could do that um, and measure it that way. So that would work pretty well. Like say you had done that training, particular training session, that same training session, I don't know, five, six times um, over a period. And then you could probably get a good gauge of what's um, normal and what's um, too tired and what's, um, yeah. You can yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And then also at the same time with that, you might start to, you know, graph that as your chronic load. So your, your chronic load would be, you know, your, your average of what those scores are over whatever the time frame you had. So if it was at four weeks, you know, you'd have, um, you'd add up that whole total and divide it by 28 and there's your, there's your average daily load, your chronic load. Um, and, you know, it, it's sort of just acknowledging okay. that there's a um, external load and an internal load. So the external being your distance and the internal being how you feel and, and just acknowledging that how you feel is is really, really, really important. It doesn't come only come down to how many Ks you run. It comes down to also how you feel. So that's why one way that people could do it. And so they get a gauge of what their chronic load is. And then you can also look at what your acute load is. And as I said, your acute load could just be what you are doing in that day or it could be an average of what you're doing in that week. Um, that's really cool because timesing it by perceived exertion yeah, like you say, it gets that internal load. So probably yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So it gives you that full round sort of feel on things. Um, um, yeah. So there's there's plenty of um, yep. acute versus chronic load sort of um, articles out there that talk about this. But you know, there is a lot of debate at the moment about the best way to calculate and do it in terms of, and I won't go in, into detail here. But you know, as long as you've got an idea that you know, exceeding your chronic load for too long with your acute load, um, you, you'll probably start breaking down your body. That's all you need to know. But so if you've got an idea of what your chronic load is, um, that would help. So you could measure just your Ks or you, or you could, as we sort of said, you could measure your Ks times your um, uh, perceived exertion and, and track that. So um, then obviously in, in doing that, there's time, there's a time involvement, okay? So this is, you know, do the, the question would be, do you have the time to, to start tracking that or is just jumping on Strava or whatever it is and just looking at your case good enough for you? Is that going to give you the uh, enough information that you really want? Um, so I think we have to accept that we don't, you know, if we're doing this with the public, you know, they have to do it themselves. So there's, there's a time, there's a time cost there in doing that, but it, it might not take you very long once the um, it's set up and it really easy to set up spreadsheets. If you know, Excel um, pretty well. Um, then, um, you know, I'll give you an example. I did that once before. So I, I tracked it for, for many years and um, looked at it. But the issue with me and, and, and even on – I used to always like running without my GPS on. And I'm sort of your um, personality type that, um, you know, you're, you're someone that needs to succeed and do well and, you know – Typical of most distance runners is that you're really driven to succeed and yep. do well. So if I'm looking, you know, yeah. if I'm looking at a GPS yep. watch that I'm running, I just have to put on, you know, if I did have a GPS, I only put it on the time because if I see how many 
what pace I'm running is. That's like a little carrot for me to start running faster. Or if I know how far I've run, oh, shit, you know, maybe I could run that little <laughs> bit further today or whatever yeah. it might be, just silly, idiotic things that I know far better than to do, but I still do it. I still fall into that trap, so I put it on a tyre. And the same thing happens if I start to measure my load. You know, I found is that I measure my yeah. load and I might be, geez, I'm at 98 Ks this week, geez, maybe I'll just stretch out that long run today just so I really hit a nice KPB or, or whatever it might be. So you can start doing just really idiotic, stupid things because you start chasing yeah. things. Uh, and probably the, the way to get by this is probably to have a plan and follow a set plan yeah. um, before that so you're just not making these rash decisions uh, on the spot. Um, so, you know, that's probably an example where, you know, measurement yeah. can go awry. And I found I was much better uh, when I didn't actually monitor any load. But what you know, in terms of write it down or keep a training diary or anything like that. For me, that, that works better. It took a lot of that stress that I would put upon myself in trying to chase things and I was far more relaxed. And what I did instead is I just listened to my body. So I just, you know, I yeah. go, how do I feel today? You know, uh, am I tired? Uh, you know, what have, I, what have I done? Have I worked all day uh, or, you know, have I done gym or whatever it might be? And then I might just, you know, I'd have a set plan of what I was going to do in training but if I was uh, a little bit fatigued or whatever or tired of things, I might just reduce it. And that's, that's a form of monitoring. That's, self, that's, that's monitoring itself is like, how do I feel today? And, and, you know, some athletes might like scales or questionnaires that they fill out and, you know, to give them a rating score. But I think you can probably just get just as much value of just going, well, how do I feel? And for coaches, it's the same communication, you know, um, and which you said earlier, one of the big um, pillars that I put in terms of um, – Injury management is, is communication. So a coach communicating with their athlete, how do you feel today? What have you yeah. done today? Have you, have you been at school? Have you studied or you've been at work? Uh, you know, what's happening in your life? A lot of this can give you a really good idea of, of how they're feeling or, or how have you slept. So, so you can write it down or you can just track it internally or you can communicate with someone. It, it doesn't really matter. But the key thing is you are probably going to spend the time on it you probably need to find those things that give you real big bang for your buck. And that's hard to find out without probably collecting a, a long history of data and then trying to find the trends um, within it. Um, while we're talking, I was just thinking about the uh, yep. something I also bring up on, on a lot of these talks is that old TAC ad. So it was a, there's that classic TAC ad where yep. the um, two blokes turn up at the bar and, and, and the ladies pouring them some beer and you know it's like uh yeah two two beers please so the, the lady pours them a, a beer each and as she's pouring she goes like you know, john's had a, a large meal to eat so he can have a bit more today and so and so's worked hard he's tired today and you know um and they just go through all these things they've done in life and then at the end of the day they're like one might have three quarters of a glass full of beer and the other one might have half a glass full of beer. And they go, that'll be about right. In term, and they're looking for their standard drinks, their two standard drinks or whatever it might be. And so they give them that. And that's saying to them that on each yep. individual day, whatever you've done through that day will alter how much you can drink or how much alcohol you can handle. And the same thing with running is whatever you've done in that day and in your history will alter how much training you can absorb and do. And, and you know, go back and find that out if, you, if, if people want to. It's, it's a great ad just to sort of educate yourself on going, oh, yeah, like what, what I've done will influence what I do. So 
whether you write those things down or you just internally compute it and go, this is how I feel, you know, that might be good enough or how much I slept. But it's probably just acknowledging it and, and thinking about it and, and taking into account rather than just following what's written on your training program and doing it, you know, I think taking it into account and if you've got a coach, talking it through with them and having that really constant yeah. daily communication with your coach athlete is, is probably really pivotal. And and the, and the coach will pick up on all these things and, and they're quite intuitive. A good coach is quite intuitive into these things and, and often they barely need to ask. Um, they'll see it, they'll see it and how you're moving and they might adjust your training as necessary through watching them and that's you know with their coach's eye and that's what really 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 skillful coaches do is is they will adapt their training plans um on the spot they won't just um, stick to what was written um if they see that changes is needed and required and you do that and, and then therefore hopefully yep. you don't get injured and ill and you start performing as we keep talking it comes back to performance yep oh no, that's um like so like i everything that you've talked about Kev um like it's it's so cool to hear it just said like that um uh like just like that focus on um monitoring you know all your loads and then um you know appreciating the need for recovery and um simplifying it like like that um but then like it's so simple but then also like you, you just you know gave a perfect example of yourself and I'm the same like you know, you, you know all this, but then, you know, that emotion can sometimes um, get the better of you, like, or that um, that um, competitiveness, that white line fever, and, and you sort of, um, yeah, you want to do the um, 100Ks for the week instead of 98. Um, and um, sometimes, yeah, talking to a, a coach or someone external um, sort of um, helps, um, helps you sort of, um, you know, see the the common sense and the yeah, the I, I think I'm sorry, um, I bring you to that um, point. I think in it all, yeah, um, we're all inherently biased, and that's that's the key thing. And you know, you're a, you being a physio, if you get an injury, that we're the worst people at assessing and managing our own yep. injuries. Any any medical person is, <laughs> um, we're we're biased. We we yep. want to believe what we want to believe um, when it comes to ourselves, and and you know, we never follow our our own advice. So you know. For me in my management, it's always I've got my best results when I've made, given it to someone else to oversee and I've taken it out of my hands for them to control. Um, and, yep. you know, the same thing with an athlete is don't be left to making that decision uh, because we're so biased. Just talk it through with someone else and they will probably um, look at it with some really fresh eyes and non-conflicting eyes and um, tell you the right thing to do. Yeah. No, I've got time, um, got, as we said. <laughs> yeah, two more questions because I've realised I've held you up a fair bit. Um, yeah, and I'm so appreciative of all of this. Um, I really wanted to ask, um, like, they're obviously the main things to focus on in terms of um, trying to stay in somewhat injury-free. Uh, but, like you, like, you did mention that, um, you know, biomechanics and strength training, you know, might play a small part. Like how how much do you focus on sort of technique with runners, and when do you feel like you know that can be important? Um, yeah, a really, really, really great question, Stane. Um, well? All right, start with technique. So I I see so much yep. value in technique, and I see it more in a performance space. I, I think people got to um, think more about technique for performance, and for whatever reason. In distance running um, in Australia, I'm not sure if it happens worldwide, 
but it is completely neglected. It, you know, from day one when we start running, the, the assumption is this is how you run and uh, just go out there and start running and get fit. But if we can apply force to the ground better, then you're going to be faster. That's that's just fact. And so many people uh, just let themselves down with their technique through not, uh, you know, through not applying force to the ground properly um, or, or slowing themselves down. So I, I would always stress it in a performance space with, with technique is, is the importance of that. In terms of injury, um, you know, minimization, yep. at the, like I could have the argument that um, if you've had a technique for long enough and your body's been fine with it, that, you know, you've adapted to it anyway. So is that technique causing you injury? Mm, debatable. Uh, if we change the technique, will it get you cause you to get injured? Quite possibly as well because we're putting stresses into – well, load has to be distributed somewhere. So we can't just take load away and it's never going to come back. So if we, if we change how you, you hit the ground or, or do something, that load has to be absorbed somewhere else. So if we change technique where we cause an injury, we, we might do. There's a chance that we could unless it's done properly and done slowly. So you'd have to – first develop some background strength in that area to be able to perform that technique properly and then you have to build that volume and intensity up very 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 gradually to get there so it's really best done from a young age from kids to be honest and at the you know little a level and and junior junior level there should probably be a much more emphasis on technique um and and skills it should be more skill-based um sort of management rather than just a, a race performance. You run as fast as you can or run for as long as you can. I think it should be more a skill-based thing so so kids actually learn this. And I think my, my feeling is on watching a lot of runners that the, the runners that tend to run well and distance runners have probably had a, a track background, a sprint background um, before they've turned to, to longer distance because to sprint well, you've got to be able to apply force to the ground really well. If you don't, you're slow and you're out the back and last. So I find that the distance runners that have had some sort of good sprint or track, uh, fast track background are really good at moving across the ground. Um, so technique for performance I think is really important and for whatever reason undervalued and trying to change it at 30 or 40 is, is possible, but it's hard. It's really, really, really hard, but, you know, you, you can get there. Um, and uh, – or do you want to add anything to that, Dan, before I get moved to strength? Yeah. Well, um, like, in terms of um, what are you um, looking – in terms of, like, a really economical technique, what are you looking for – mainly like what do you do you try to keep it really yeah. simple and um, i try and keep it really like really really key, simple like just um, the key things that you look for you know I, I i'll start with one thing i really hate yep. that drives me insane um is people just manipulating yep. cadence it drives yep. me insane i'll tell you why uh because as i sort of said yep. it's all yep. comes down to performance why we do something is in this sport is about performance so People are go, often trying to pick up their cadence to reduce the amount of force through the ground. That's what they're trying to do. So they go, well, you're, if we pick up your, your, your cadence, you'll probably land a little bit more underneath yourself um, because you can't you know, reach out as far. And 
you take more steps and therefore you're taking more steps, you're having less flight time, so there's yep. going to be less force through your body, so you're putting less force. So that's, that's the outcome of, of cadence as you put less force through your body. But the other outcome of it is that you're going to run slow. Like you, you, you can't help but run, run slower if your cadence picks up quite a lot. And the other thing to it is that cadence is variable. Cadence is variable on the terrain you're on, whether it's uphill or downhill, whether there's, there's wind, whether it's grass, or uh, it depends on you, you know, your mood, how you're feeling that day. Um, it, it, it's so, so, so variable. And I've had people come into the clinic that have been told to have a set cadence and they've got a, headphones on and listen to this cadence. And even you get them jogging, they've got the same cadence. You get them running faster, they've got the same cadence. Cadence manipulates with speed. So people who set their cadence, I see, I see an issue, but I do accept that a lot of people will just give the cues of, of, of upping their cadence. But, again, okay, we come back to performance. The whole thing comes down to performance. So what you're better off doing is just teaching someone how to put force into the ground. And if you run correctly, your cadence will become that natural rhythm for your body anyway. So it's it's kind of like um, giving a golf – if you're a golfer and, you know, they're, they're struggling their swing and just saying yep. them to, all right, rather than having a big swing at it, just do a little chip and we'll chip our whole way there. We'll just do a little chip and we'll chip and we'll chip and we'll chip and we'll get to the hole. You'll get it there. or will take you 100 hits, but you'll get there. That's fine. Versus spending a lot of time teaching them how to get a proper swing and getting there in, in three shots rather than 100 shots. So that's how, how I would analogize it is that um, yep. it's, it's all about performance and, and putting force into the ground. So how yep. I often try and teach it is that uh, well, well the, one of the big things you're looking out for is uh, are they overstriding? So, you know, are they reaching out beyond their, their body? Um, and you, you might see that through the inclination of their shins. So if their shins are vertical, mm -hmm. uh, they're probably less likely to be overstriding if their shins uh, sort of point, you know, not vertical, more horizontal, you know, then we, we know that there's a fair chance that they're a bit more overstrided. Yep. Uh, but you could also have a vertical shin and be sitting quite low through your hips and, and the knees. But that, that's one easy way is just to see is the shin vertical or how far does it look like they're stepping out in front of their centre of mass. So you're trying to reduce that. And the reason um, you probably all know this, Dane, is that the reason you're trying to reduce yep. that is you're just trying to reduce some of those breaking forces. So, again, always tie it back to performance. Yep. If you if you overstride and step in front of yourself, you're slamming on your brakes. You're you're slowing yourself down. Uh -huh. So that's one key thing. Yeah, but the other real key thing I just try and teach people is how to apply force yep. into the ground, and that's probably the one cue I give. So uh, I'll often um, so I've done some. I did a lot of work over the past couple of years at the St Kilda um, Footy Club and teaching them how to run and and do some things like this and and. Because you're dealing with a group of 40, you've just got to come up with some really easy, good cues that, that, that work in a second. Um, so we'll often just start with just almost like we're marching on the spot, but we're making little ovals around our shin. So we're getting that foot drawn up to the bottom and then back down, landing underneath yourself. And we might do a little bit of walking like that um, and then slowly emphasising that force to come into the ground because you've got to exert, you've got to push into the ground to, to come back off it, you know, um, if you don't put force in the ground, you're going to go nowhere. So it's, it's teaching them that and then you might start to yep. step it up into some, you know, rising with their toes and some A skips and some running drills. 
But the, the whole concept always comes back to uh, sort of that putting force into the ground. And if you put force, if you stamp your foot hard, you're going to stamp your foot down below you, underneath your, your body. If you, if I said smash a can under your foot, you're going to walk up to it and step, smash it yep. when it's next to your other ankle, right? You're not going to step on it when it's about 50 centimetres in front of your body and step on that. You've got no force that's yep. going to be, be applied there. So if you want to put force in the ground, you've got to come and land underneath yourself. So that's uh, one thing I'll tell. And the other thing that we try and work on is, time on the ground so how reactive are you off the ground and that comes to a lot of strength you know yep. basically what's what's your strength and what's your um tendon and fascia capabilities to, to spring quickly um and that can come sometimes we then have to do some strength training as as a backup but in terms of you know jogging and and sometimes the easiest way to get people jogging honestly, is as easy as this. You get them skipping up and down the spot. So you just say, pretend you've got a skipping rope, start skipping up and down the spot. Okay. Think about that and start running. And then you start yeah. running. And they just boing, 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 boing. Instead of just plod, plod, plod. Like rather than having yeah. this really long contact time and plodding, they're just bouncing on the spot. And then yeah. you can start to, to train that um, a little bit faster. But... I'd, I'd never like to do that alone yep. because, as I said, I think getting some really good running mechanics and even – I often try and head towards sprint mechanics because I think the sprint mechanics are great because you can't sprint unless you apply force into the ground. So I often try and head down that sprint pathway first and then yep. um, translate that into more your, your distance running um, uh-huh. technique. But, yeah, if, if anyone listening is going, well, how do I run better? We'll just skip up and down on the spot and then you'll get that rhythm and tempo and feel how it should feel and you start jogging and it's – Bang, it's there in two seconds. Easy. Yep. Yes. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, and, like, on that, like, do you focus, um, like, because of it, like, how much how much variability oh, of biomechanics yeah. do you sort of um, accept? Like, because um, you get a lot of runners in, you know, really yep. focusing on, oh, you know, my foot rolls don't, in this I, bar, I, You don't worry about those one, those little one percenters and things because sort of remember that. changing that. If, if if your foot rolls in and I want to stop that and put an orthotic yep. in or um, do something, well, I have to I have to put force somewhere else. Um, the, the key thing is that you just put force into the ground really well. That's that's the crux of it. If you if you put force into the ground, you'll be fine. And at the same time, there is going to be a variability between all of us because we're all individuals. We've all got different. Um, body types, joint range of motions, you know, joint positions, uh, muscle strength, bulk, you know, some of us might be, uh, you know, different fiber types, you know, st- tendon stiffness, whatever. So it's never going to look identical. But as long as you've got the application right, that's probably really all that matters. And it's so important. Like the amount of times I've watched uh, – races and, and people run and it gets to the end of the race and there's a kick finish and you're just scratching your head just going oh you're bloody talented as a runner you're aerobically very fit uh but at, at the end of this race someone can easily sprint away from you only because yeah. they're mechanically better than you not because they're fitter than you just because they're mechanically better than you they're, they're putting force in the ground better than you can yeah and it, oh, you're just like you can work on this. This is changeable. You, you know, we can fix this. It takes time, but you can fix it, but you're better off doing it from when you're young. So it's, it's bloody frustrating to see. And, um, 
many coaches would be far better off spending time on technical correction um, than they would be just flogging their athletes. Uh, Bang for the buck, you'd get so much out of it. But you got best to start young, as I said. (coughs) Yep. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and um, just lastly, um, like with strength training – where do you see like how, how much importance do you place on on that um in yeah terms I, it's of, it's um, so important because and, uh, at yeah, the end of well for performance it's 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 crucial you know um again as when we're running it's all about how much force you can apply into the ground and that will determine your stride length um and remember when we're running our, our stride length we're more like a pogo stick we're not reaching out like we're walking so um don't think about stride length as in, in, in reaching your leg out as far as you can. Think about it as your air time. So the more force you put into the ground, the more air time you, you can get. And the quicker you can put that force into the ground, the less time you spend on the ground equals less friction, so equals uh, more more performance. So um, it's it's deadly crucial in the performance um, world. Yep. And so in running, where would you focus uh, your strength training um, for performance? Well, Carbs is probably your number one um, or just that – and same with injury um, management is, is your calves um, or your, your calves and your feet, your, your lower leg area. The reason being is if you look at the incidence or, or prevalence of, of injuries um, in distance runners, the majority are going to be from the knee down, you know, below the knee. So, um, that, so injury management, it makes sense to develop some robustness there, so some strength and robustness there. In terms of um, performance, well, when we're running, probably about, you know, anywhere, depending on which articles you read, about 50 to 70% of your vertical force and, and a fair large majority of your horizontal force comes out of your calves um, and particularly more so your soleus. So the majority of the ground reaction, this is in, when you're on the, on, the, on the ground, not in the air. So the majority of the force that goes into the, into the ground comes from your calves. Um, and when we run, we typically run with more, you know, if you're running well with good technique, your, your knees aren't too bent and your, your hips aren't too bent either. So we're pretty tall and, and upright. And in that position, you know, our quads don't have a large uh, moment arm, uh, so they can't develop as much force and their, and their tension in the, their length tension isn't that great. Um, and same with your glutes. So when you're upright, your glutes and your quads can't do a whole heap and the majority of work done from your calves. So we can see that calves are, are by far and away the most important thing. The other thing that, that points to this is that running is, it's a sub-maximal sport, you know, uh, distance running. Um, we're not doing max exertion with each single step. If we were, we'd only run about five steps and we'd be bugging. So it's, you know, we're running for thousands and thousands of steps. So it's, it's, it's not maximal exertion. And... <laughs> If you look at there's some old jumping studies um, done, uh, you know, maybe 20 years ago. So where they've looked at people do varying types of jumping. So you might do a um, a submaximal jump, yep. like 25% effort jump, a 50% effort jump, or a 75 and 100% level jump. Now, if you're doing a 25% level jump, and people at home can do this. You're largely just going to – most of the majority of work is going to come from the, the calves. You're barely going to bend your hips. You're barely going to bend your knees. It's, it's just going to bang. So uh, you, you're popping up from your calves. Same thing for about a 50% jump. 
But as we get higher and higher, the, the, the larger height in the jump or effort we put in, the more we yep. start to bend our knees and, and bend our hips and we start to use those other muscles. But from the, by that stage, you've already maximised every output of your calf. So you'll maximise the use of your calf before you start to incorporate a lot of um, what happens through your, your hips and, and your knees. After about 75% of your, your jump height, you, you probably maximised it or your calf. So right from the very get-go, we're, we're using a lot of calf and, and not much else. And as we said, it's a sub-maximal sport in terms of jumping um, is, is what we're doing. We're running. We're just hopping along. So we're using the calf a hell of a lot and not a whole lot of quad and, and glute respectively. Um, and, you know, on that, it, it points to the reason why calf injuries are so bloody annoying to um, bring back because as soon as you start running, you're using a lot. You know, we're talking probably, you know, again, depends where you measure, like five to ten times your body weight, where you, look, which you read five percent of your body weight um, is going through your, your calf Achilles complex. Um from very, very, you know, maybe five times your body weight, or six times your body weight early on in, in, in jogging. So it's quite a lot of load that goes through those tissues, um, which make, you know, which makes it difficult. And the same thing with landing. You know, there's, there's studies on landing and, and they have the same results in terms of if you, if you land from a high height, you'll use your hips and, and knees and you know, your, your cars maximally. But if you just do a low landing, it's majority of it's just your calves. So your calves are your number one. Like if you only had one exercise to do, it'd probably be your calves because, uh, and that would yep. be some really, really, really heavy weighted calf work, uh, not just calf raises to endurance. It would be heavy calf raises. Um, yep. So either using a Smith machine if you could or um, backpacks or, or dumbbells if you could, but the heavier, heavier the better and, and, and low reps, you know, maybe somewhere between, you know, around six reps or so and, and a few sets of three or four sets of that would be ideal um, to load that up heavy and, and you could do it in a, as I said, in a Smith machine, but you could also do it seated at a seated car for whatever access you've got. But um, I, I saw you had Nick Cross on here before, so I'm sure Nick maybe covered some of these points um, previously um, with tendon management. But, yeah, you, you really want it heavy and, you know, two, two and a half times your body weight. So yes. someone like you, Dane, that weighs about 30 kilos, you'd probably have about um, – what's that? If you were doing twice your body weight, you'd have another 30 kilograms <laughs> on your shoulder and you'd be um, doing that. But if you're a beast like me and you're weighing 80 to 90 <laughs> kilos, what I don't know what I weigh now um, – yeah, you'd probably need 80 kilos in your shoulders to do it just to get twice your body weight. And, um, you know, if it's two and a half times, I'd, I'd probably need, what, 120 kilos on my body weight. So we're thinking about yep. your body weight plus something else. If you're doing it seated, you have to accept that you're sitting down so you've got no weight going through your leg at that moment. So if yep. you were doing it seated, you'd have with your 30 kilo body weight, you'd have um, 60 kilos down through your leg. And, um, you know, for me, I'd have 160 kilos through my leg if I'm 80 kilos. So... And that bloody hurts. It really hurts your thigh. And so you need a lot of cushioning and padding uh, to do that. But if you do that um, and you do it well, you'll probably also get an inherent strengthening yep. through your uh, foot intrinsic muscles as well, um, which because you, you're going to be loading them, you're going to be causing some deformation of that longitudinal arch. So you're arching your foot, um, which will no doubt put extra, um, te- you know, load through those muscles. Um, so you, you You'll get, you'll get a little bit of load to those intrinsic. So if you have one exercise to do, a calf raise is really good bang for your buck. 
Um, and the other exercise or area I'd always focus on is your hip abductors. So they're the muscles on your sides, your glute medius, glute minimus, uh, we, we often think about. Yep. Um, but, the, yeah, the ones to the side of your glutes. And um, there's, a, there's a study out there um, whereby they looked at the amount of force that, you know, different muscles in the, in the glutes take. And your glute medius and minimus together, combined together, take three and a half times more load than your glute max does in steady state, um, five meters per second running. So um, three and a half times as much. So it, it goes back to all those old running magazines wow. that we used, you know, you would have used to read or you see, and they're like, how to strengthen your glutes. And, you know, they're all like, Let's, let's do some squats. So yeah. let's do lots and lots of squats. Yeah. So let's do some bridges. And, yep. yeah, let's get a really nice glute max. But what do we do in running? We stand on one leg. So we never got two feet on the ground. And we bounce yep. along. Boing, 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 boing. And it's sub-maximal. So we know we're using our calves a lot. We're on one leg. So we need stability. And a lot of that stability is, is going to come from around those glute med min and controlling that sideways lateral stability. But also – Doing exercise on one leg's, you know, crucial just for de- developing the ankle stability and, and general, you know, hip stability where those um, extra movements occur. So, if I had, you know, mm-hmm. my two mainstays of exercises are purely calf raises, some heavy weighted calf raises, and some hip abduction work where you're on one leg and you and you've got to be on one leg and your torso's got to be straight and your pelvis has got to yep. be level. And I'm really particular with how you set up your body because it's really easy to cheat um, doing some exercises like that and you can shorten the lever arm um, or you just train the wrong action. So I'm, I'm really, really, really particular with that. And then on top of so on top of that, then I think you can look at, you know, doing other strength work um, that helps with your triple extension. Um, so triple extension being the straightening of your, your hip, knee and, and ankle um when you're running uh so that could be things like you know a squat single leg squat or or bulgarians or those typical general level movement patterns but to be honest in a distance you know really vital in a um sprinter who has to accelerate so when do you use your 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 glutes to in in running well you would use them if you're accelerating or if you're running up a hill so trail runners might like to do a lot of this stuff um, because you're trying to push up a hill. Uh, we use it at the end of our swing phase to bring the leg back underneath mm-hmm. us, but most of us distant runners aren't really running that fast to use our glutes a whole whole lot. So, you know, you, you might not have to do a whole lot of squats and lunges and all those things. It, it really might be just wasting your time if, if, you, if you're time poor. So calves and your hip abductors. And then in, in terms of, of, of core, Yep. You know, my other diss on a lot of distance runners is they like to, um, you know, we all like to look good. So we like to um, do thousands of sit-ups and push-ups and crunches or, <laughs> what, you know, whatever they are. Heaps and heaps and heaps of them. So we'll spend half an hour doing that and then we'll spend two minutes doing uh, some calf yep. raises or something like that. Uh, and we and we look great. I mean, we've got these big six-packs and, uh, yeah, look fantastic down on the beach. Yep. But we've got these miserable little legs. Um, yeah. so, and do we, you know, do we run without our, our core? No. And, um, yeah, we, we run on our legs. Now I'll bring another analogy to you that I, I give to people is that, so you've got, um, a cube 
and you've got a, a ball. Yep. So you've got like a box and you've got a ball. All right, Dane? This is a test. So you've got to balance these on the ground, okay? Yep. The ball and the box. <laughs> so how are you going to do it? What are you going to put on the ground first? Yeah. Box. And then you're going to put the ball on top of the box, right? What would happen if you put uh, the ball the down and the box on top of that? Yeah, yep. spot on. So the, the analogy to that is this. So we can, we can think about the box as being the ball, thing that's really ball. strong, okay, and stable. <laughs> so if we spent all our time doing our core, you know, and we look great, you know, that's nice and strong, so that's our box. Yep. But we've neglected our stability and our strength in our lower leg. That's our ball. So it doesn't matter how yep. bloody good you make your core, it's useless to you because underneath yep. the bit that hits the ground is like, running on a boat, you know, it's on, it's, it's so unstable yep. that it's, it's useless to you. Don't matter how strong you are. It can be ridiculously strong. It's useless to you. So yep. don't bother about doing core, all that core work until you've actually developed, spent time developing your strength in your lower legs and your hips and, and your feet and your calves and the stability there. Don't, don't bother doing your core because it'd be completely useless to you. And, and it, you know, that's one message I always give to, to athletes, um, but yeah, do yep. go, but go for it. Do your core, do your sit-ups and crunches. But yeah, only once you've done the ascent, you know, the really vital stuff to make your run fast. But, but yeah, no. that's such a good message because then you know runners can better prioritize. Uh, the essentials um, and know where to direct their energy because everyone's, you know, trying their best to prevent injury. But that kind of education um, is so pivotal. So, you know, runners, uh, you know, are mm. better equipped at sort of knowing what their running strength training that's all right. consists of. Um, uh, yeah, and that's – Kev, I've kept you way too long and, and so much of what you said is, is just being that's, – that's why I just wanted to keep talking because, like, there's so many gold nuggets that so many runners will um, benefit from. Um, where can um, runners reach out to you, you know, if they're interested to follow up and, um, you know, with an injury or, or get uh, more Yeah, advice? well, where, where can they, I work um, out of um, Life Care Melbourne Sports um, Medicine, they um, so they can reach out to me there um, or they can um, – I'm not on social media, so sorry, people, you, you can't really contact me there. I try and stick away from that. Uh, so yeah, without me giving away my email and, and mobile phone over this podcast, that's probably the, yep. the easiest way to get in contact with me, or if they know you, you've got all my yep. details and they can contact me through that. That means if they really want to, but yeah, look, um, thanks Dane for having yep. me on here. If, if all I want to do is, um, I'll, I'll just summarize it's again, what we do at the VIS or, or anywhere we're chatting to runners is it's simple. Mm -hmm. We don't, it's really not complicated. It is just do the basics really well. So it is, as we sort of said, establish, you know, good communication between uh, coaches, athletes, whoever your support team is. Um, so people, you know, are just aware of how you're feeling and what you're doing. Um, establish a really good long-term plan Um where you can factor in your when you're going to have your build-up, your breaks, your recoveries, those sorts of things. So establish that. Uh, have good dietary practices. See a sports dietitian if you need to. Make sure you mm -hmm. you give some time to relax and um, chill out um, and not stress so much. You know, tune out from running. I think there's so much value in doing that. 
And then just uh, with whatever little time you've got left uh, in your life, just do a little bit of strength, but it doesn't have to be too exhaustive. Just keep it basic. It might only be a couple of times a week um, if that's all you've got. Um, but it, it, for a distance runner, it doesn't have to be too, too excessive. If you're a sprinter or a power athlete, yeah, it's probably a big part of your training program. But for a distance runner, just enough just for performance and a little bit of um, injury risk management. Great. Yeah. No, great Thanks, story. mate. No problem. Um, so many great points. Uh, thanks, Kev, for a great podcast. <laughs>